Welcome to the Closer and Closer podcast, a podcast about expanding your creative capacity. Each week, we interview inspiring creatives to help you grow your freelance career. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Closer and Closer podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Andrea Mejia-Madriz, and I'm a part of the artist marketing and partnerships team here at Closer and Closer. This week, we do not have my lovely co-host Dave Arcade with us, but we do have a wonderful guest. Today's guest creates bold, fun, and slightly psychedelic illustrations inspired by patterns and rhythms. He uses the associative powers of shape and material to communicate at an intuitive level. His illustrations can be found on record sleeves, packaging, apparel, exhibitions, and so much more. He's worked with clients such as the One Club Creative Week, Adobe, Apple, Blue Point Brewing, Coca-Cola, Corona, Procreate, and Doc Martens. A big warm welcome to Nick Leafhepper. Welcome, Nick. So excited to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks for the introduction. Oh, of um, course. Looking forward to talk with you about all the stuff I do. Of course. Yeah. I'm surprised I didn't trip over all of those amazing clients that you've worked with. I was really, really trying to pace myself there. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I'm so excited to get into it. And I guess we can just honestly start right off with um, our first question tends to be how we start these things off. And it tends to be kind of the hardest question, but I think it's a good one. Tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Uh, I think like everybody, I started drawing a lot as a kid and Mm -hmm. I heard a lot of other artists explain the same thing, but I never thought doing art was an actual profession or something I could do for real Mm -hmm. Um, until my mother took me to an art school just to look around. She she saw me struggling and looking for something to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And then I saw it was something you could do for real and study. So... um, it was great. I, I um, it re- felt like the right place right mm-hmm. away, um, and I wanted to study illustration really bad because that I was drawing a lot and that was the thing I just wanted to do. But nobody accepted me. Oh, I tried no. in a lot of different art schools, <laughs> so that's always really funny. And I started. I was accepted to study graphic design. Mm. So I started as a graphic designer, um, which turned out fine as well, <laughs> because it, I also met a lot of people doing illustration and all that kind of stuff and was inspired by everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, after finishing art school, I started working at a graphic design company, uh, designing identities and websites and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I felt something was missing and I saw a place around here, which uh, was a place where you could do screen printing and reason printing and stuff like that. And it just started creating illustrations um, for fun next to my, uh, my work. Yeah. It was slowly taking over me and, and, and I was taking on illustration jobs working a lot for myself, for nobody. And um, I decided one day I'm just going to try it. I'm still young. I don't have a mm-hmm. lot of responsibilities. I can be poor. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fine. Totally. was the, the right moment. Um, so, yeah, then, then very slowly 
my work started creeping from being a graphic designer to an illustrator mm -hmm. because my work got noticed, my own work, which I created for me uh, online. And I'm really lucky and happy it turned out that way. It worked out great. A little detour. And yeah, I'm so interested to hear because I actually don't think that this is something anyone has touched on in the podcast before of like that feeling of rejection, especially when it comes to school. I think anybody can relate, even if you're not necessarily a creative, because um, that ha happens, you know, in every aspect of life. But did you feel, I mean, did you feel discouraged in pursuing illustration when that happened? And like, how did you kind of build that confidence back up again to, to kind of try it again and, and do it again? Or did you just say, okay, well, maybe these schools don't understand what I'm doing and just continue, you know, to create as much as you could in your free time? Uh, I think they, I, I didn't have the, the, of course, I didn't have the quality. And, and I, when I did the, the intakes, there were people who could draw really well. And also in the, in the illustration language, which is the professional illustration language. And I was mm -hmm. just drawing like uh, somebody who never had any education yeah. or I didn't watch a lot of cartoons or, or other stuff I was inspired by. So I think they saw I could do something, but not, I think I wasn't good at the time. So I think mm -hmm. maybe it was uh, okay. They rejected me. Yeah. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I, I was just, I also really liked, graphic design it was yeah. just on the second place it worked out no that's interesting and I think yeah it's so easy to say that now um because I look back I've talked about this on the podcast before but when I first went to college I planned on going to medical school and like that was my plan was being a doctor and you know when you're in it and like going through the classes or going through the rejection you know my experience was like I kept getting 20% on exams and like all of my friends were doing so much better than me and I was just struggling through the classes and I think obviously at the time it was really difficult to you know see that rejection and see that I wasn't excelling in something that I felt I really wanted to do but it's so much easier looking back and I know everybody always says like oh it gets better or like it's so cliche but it really is just so true that now looking back I talk to my friends and I'm like why did I ever think that I would want to do that? Or like, why did I think that that was the route that I wanted to take? Um, and so for you, it's just so interesting that like, yeah, probably at the time it was difficult, you know, like kind of a bummer, but you know, you were like, you had a great attitude about it and were like, I also like graphic design and I, this is something I can do and I enjoy. And now looking back on it, you can say, honestly, like, yeah, I don't think that was the time for me to be doing illustration. I don't think I was up to par. So I think that's a good yeah. thing for people to remember. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. And you also touched on the fact that you started in graphic design and you obviously still do graphic design work now. And, you know, you do illustration, you do the cutout work. So I've, that's always something that I've been really impressed by in your work is that there's such a wide breadth in styles and like in mediums. But at the same time, you know, even though it all looks different, it all feels like very true to you. Um, and I just kind of was wondering, how do you keep a sense of cohesion in such a varied portfolio? Because that's something Drew and I talk about a lot. And I think it's a really challenging thing to do. Mm -hmm. I, it's a really difficult question because I also sometimes think I'm creating too much different stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, and but, but I also think uh, different questions like different projects I'm doing or different clients require uh, require a different solution so mm -hmm. 
for me, I'm trying to I'm trying to use the right tools or the right things to come up with a good solution for the client or mm -hmm. for my own project. Um, and and the cohesion, I think that's also because of my limitations. I <laughs> often like to try, I see something, I think, oh, that would be awesome. I would like to draw something like that. Or I want to move my work more towards that and I'm trying it and I just don't have the technique or <laughs> it just doesn't work out. But because I created in my own way, something new is mm. coming from that. So, so it's not negative at all. It's just like my muscle memory or my ways yeah. of working. And, and uh, it's just a whole recipe of all different kinds of stuff that I works that. out in one way or another or another. Yeah. So no, it's really that. difficult to answer, but <laughs> I think that's that's a little bit in the right direction. No, I get it. And again, with the great attitude, like that that's something that I'm just noticing now that as we're talking is like, you have such a good attitude towards things where you don't let, you know, wh whereas some people might try out something new and not exactly hit the nail on the head and say, oh, like I suck. I'm a failure. I can't do it. I'm just not going to do it anymore. You see the opportunity in that. And you see that, you know, maybe you have to do it a little bit differently and maybe it's not going to turn out exactly how you wanted it. But at the end of the day, it's it's true to you, which I think is super important. To it's just true to I you. Yeah, yeah. But I must say, because maybe now it sounds a little bit like I'm happy, happy with everything, but I also <laughs> make a lot of stuff which doesn't work. I, would, I throw away and, you know, it's not like I think every failure is great, but I think it's... Uh, it's good to keep going and search for something that works within your style or way of working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that kind of ties into the next question that I had for you is just what your approach towards experimentation is and trying out new styles and mediums. Like, do you see it as a distraction or do you see it as part of the work and how do you see it? Um, since you kind of already, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Um, how do you see that like building your, your craft and building your abilities? Well, I do a lot of my own work mm -hmm. for me, and I think that's a big part of my, uh, also my professional side, also my client work. Mm -hmm. um, but I see that that experimentation is often something I just want to try out, and I create projects uh, based around that. Mm -hmm. um, like sometimes I work towards a show or or just a collection of collection of images for mm -hmm. whatever or around new year I also always make a collection of cards or screen pr uh, prints or stuff like that yeah and i see that as moments where well maybe it's it's good to say i started out doing illustration while i was a graphic designer because i wanted to make work i didn't have to explain to anybody but mm. just wanted to create without being limited often yeah. when you're making an identity for a for a professional client you have to explain every step of the yeah. way, which is, of course, great. And I understand why. But in these projects, also these illustration projects, I just want to let it go and mm -hmm. create stuff. Sometimes it, it's telling a story and sometimes it's uh, trying a new technique. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Totally. I don't I think, see it as a distraction. I see it. I see it as an essential part of my work to mm -hmm. put yeah. out work 
which is interesting to me and hopefully generates work interesting <laughs> for clients. Yeah, totally. I think that's something me and Drew talk about a lot is just, you know, you have to create the work that you want to be doing for clients. Mm. And a lot of the time, the way that you start doing that is not through like a client piece, it's through personal work. And that's why that's like such an important part of mm. of your personal development, you know, because a lot of the times clients, if they don't see something in your portfolio, they don't, how are they going to know that they can hire you for that? You know, like they're not going to know. Yeah. So yeah, unless they see that example, they're not going to really get it. I also always, when clients um, mention work, they, for the creative direction of the brief, mm-hmm. they mention a lot of my own work, not for mm-hmm. other clients, but original stuff, which were just experiments. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So I really, bl- yeah, I bl- really block time. Like, okay, in uh, in a few weeks, I will start working five days on my own work if it yeah. works out in my schedule, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, that was a big question that I had for you too, because obviously you're newer on the roster. I don't have a super in-depth knowledge of like how you work and stuff. And I know that, again, like you're always creating personal work. You're super prolific, um, but you're also always working on client work. So I wanted to ask you, like, is there a certain level of organization that you adhere to? Would you say that you are a naturally organized person and that kind of comes easily to you? Or was that something you had to work towards? And also like, what would be your best advice for artists struggling to find that balance? Well, I I don't think I'm organized (laughs) in a natural way specifically, but I, I see the importance of and and also I do it for myself because that's what I find most fun is creating a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, screen prints or digital illustrations, whatever. So yeah. I really uh, saw the importance of that and started to block time for mm-hmm. uh, in my in my agenda. And um, I think that's really important because otherwise it's something you work on on the side. Yeah, while it is. As a, as important as a really big client, mm-hmm. I mean, for me that it for me it's like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I sometimes I can work on a on a project which I don't feel is for me, or I don't. Uh, I'm I'm the right person to do that. So then I decide not to make that money, but make mm-hmm. original work. Yeah. Do you ever get like anxiety surrounding that? Because I know obviously that's something a lot of artists deal with is just like, it's difficult to let go of a project because you never really know when the next one's going to come in. So how do you mitigate like that, that anxiety or that that fear? (laughs) Sometimes when I don't have clients for like a week or something or longer, I think that this was it. I'm uh, yeah. I'm out of it, and, and I'm not okay anymore. <laughs> uh, but I've also been working long enough to know um, that it comes in waves. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have like a lot of clients at the same time, and sometimes you have nothing. Yeah, and that's also something I try to embrace a bit. Like if I don't have clients, then I see an opportunity to create new stuff or. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, those are the times I can, in, in the beginning, it was hard because I felt like creative block or something, or I need to f- go out, find work and stuff like that. Yeah. And now I just put out work and it turns out that it helps. 
mm-hmm. that works better yeah. for me. Yeah, totally. I think that that's something really important. And just like from a marketing perspective, it's something that I see a lot sometimes with like artists on the roster is it's really easy to feel discouraged when those, you know, those slower periods come because they always do. They always happen. Um, mm. And it can, I, I, sometimes I do see our artists, you know, feeling discouraged or feeling like, oh, like, I don't have any work. It's over. And then they <laughs> kind of forget that there's other things that you can fill that time with that, you know, drive inquiries, because that's something that I, I'm always telling you guys, I'm sure you've heard me say it a million times, but like your marketing's purpose is to um, like bring in inquiries and is to generate inquiries for you guys. And so you know, during those slow pro- times, it's always a good thing to be working on personal work that you can put out there into the world and kind of utilize as a net to to capture those projects. Because, yeah, I think it's something that people forget and they get kind of stuck in the fear of that feeling. Um, and also something I've been reading that this just kind of like pinged this in my mind, but was I'm reading a book on imposter syndrome and just feeling constantly like you're going to be discovered or like, you know, there as a fraud, basically, like everybody's yeah. constantly thinking, oh, you know, yeah, I'm doing well now, but one day they're going to figure out that I, I actually don't know what I'm doing. And yeah. I think, yeah, it's just interesting to hear you talk about that evolution of going from being a young artist and, you know, handling that fear and maybe not handling it in the best way, just kind of having anxiety yeah, because, over yeah, it. I, th- I think it's important to say, especially for starting illustrators, it is hard at, uh, mm-hmm. when you're starting out. And of course, now I have a little bit of luxury that I know I've worked on a lot of projects and I can count a little bit of stuff coming in. But of course, if you're starting out, you don't have the the the, the work put out and the projects done. So mm-hmm. it's totally harder uh, in the beginning here. Yeah. yeah, totally. And then, yeah, what advice would you give to somebody that's kind of starting out and is experiencing these ebbs and flows and doesn't really know how to how to handle it emotionally, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's also when I said at the beginning, mm-hmm. I accepted. I I I, 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 I was so young I could be poor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just you know, in the beginning, you just have to put out work and create mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but you won't get the best clients in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so my advice would be just treat it like a really serious project. Like if it was a client, even yeah. though it has nothing to do with commercial work. Um, but just see it as a really important thing because in the end it is important. It's something you want to make, you want to put out. Mm. Um, and I think that can be a base to work professionally on. Totally. Totally. Um, something that I kind of wanted to talk to you about that I kind of missed at the beginning, honestly, I should have asked this closer to the top of the pod, but I wanted to kind of hear what your inspirations behind your work are, because you have a really, really unique style, especially like even on our roster, you know, it's so like bright and psychedelic, like you, like, um, your intro said. So what are the inspirations behind that? And like, what do you think led you to create this kind of work and did you were you always doing this kind of work like how did it kind of evolve from you know what you were doing as a kid to now well no uh, when i was a kid i didn't make this kind <laughs> of stuff but it really when i think the work i do now with the, the really graphic pattern heavy 
mm-hmm. detailed stuff it's that originated from when I started to work at the screen printing, real printing place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit technical, but you work with, uh, how do you say it? Flat colors, uh, flat colors, not, a, mm-hmm. not in tints, you know? Gotcha. Um, so that was a technical limitation mm-hmm. uh, for creating work, for creating illustrations. Um, so that was when I started working in these um, solid shapes, you know. Yeah. Um, and in the beginning, I also li- was limited by the amount of colors I wa- I could use because mm-hmm. of money and and the <laughs> amount of work. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that that really inspired my work. Even the digital illustrations I do now are those limitations of techniques mm-hmm. I used in printmaking. Um, and I also, um, I also see my illustrations as a collection of simple shapes, creating a complex image. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from maybe my graphic design background or something. Yeah. I the like when I drawing leaves or trees or stuff like that, those are really simplified, uh, rough shapes of, of real stuff. Mm -hmm. But when you combine all those simple elements, uh, it can it can become a whole story or a whole complex image uh, when combined. Yeah. Um, and of course, I was inspired by people who were also doing this. Um, yeah, like their uh, uh, Japanese the designers, Japanese printmaking. Mm. There's mm-hmm. also more recent, like Kiyoshi Awazu, which is a an illustrator, I think he started in the 70s or the 60s. Mm-hmm. Really pop art kind of style. And Tadanori Yoko, I think. I hope I say <laughs> it right. But they were also really um, coming from a, the old Japanese printmaking techniques, um, yeah. translating it to really modern stuff and then contemporary design and art and illustrations. Yeah. Also, Ivan Earl, which is an illustrator, also worked for Disney a lot. Oh, um, awesome. But he, uh, he did Sleeping Beauty. He was the art director for the landscapes of, the, of Sleeping Beauty. Mm. But he also mm-hmm. made hundreds or maybe even thousands of screen prints and his own illustrations. And he was oh, wow. cycling through the country, making all kinds of really good stuff. So That's I, amazing. I'm also inspired by, yeah. But I'm also inspired by artists like that who um, also found these things they just wanted to make mm-hmm. and put it in their own language or something, yeah. visual language. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's so interesting that so much of your inspiration comes from like Japanese artists because, you know. You're you're not you're not Japanese and I'm not yeah, Japanese. Just... No, but that are of course Japan has a really uh, amazing history of printmaking. Totally. But yeah. I'm also inspired by a lot of uh, Polish uh, illustrators. Mm-hmm. There was I hope I'm saying this right, but <laughs> as, to my understanding, there was a law once in Poland in the sixties and seventies that, uh, for example, movie posters had to made had to be made in Poland. So oh, there wow. are all these crazy Star Wars posters and uh, whatever, all psychedelic and weird and really cool that screen so printed. That is so cool. 
Yeah, they're really cool. Jakub Errol is one of the illustrators who is uh, really awesome. That yeah. is so Too sick. much yeah. inspiration. <laughs> no, that is exactly. I'm going to be looking at those for the rest of the day, I think, just Googling them and checking them out because that is so incredible and interesting. Um, awesome. Well, I'm glad we got to touch on that. Now I'm going to, again, <laughs> pivot a little bit unnecessarily, but um, I keep bringing up Drew in this podcast. For those of you who don't know, Drew is our fearless leader here at CNC. Sometimes he hosts the podcast if you guys get lucky. Um, but something that Drew whenever we're talking about you, he always says that he appreciates the way that you push back and ask questions. I think that you're just a really great example of positive confrontation and how you can kind of cultivate that in a work environment. Um, I am a self-proclaimed people pleaser. I just want everybody to like me all the time. I have a really hard time kind of pushing back or creating conflict. And I'm sure a lot of people listening feel similarly. So I wanted to ask, how you maintain this like inquisitive back and forth nature while also keeping things professional, both like within the industry or like, or within the agency and with clients as well. I think it's confrontation sounds a bit negative and I don't see it as a confrontation or anything, but it, mm-hmm. I have a thing where I want to know why, why people ask, what what they want uh, what are asking or mm-hmm. what what's the thought behind it and i think um if you're afraid to ask why it's also uh showing interest in in somebody else's thoughts or somebody mm-hmm. else's ideas like of course somebody can say you have to do this or you have to do that now go do it but if you don't know why maybe there's a better solution you know mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. clients they hire me because i'm a professional in in a certain way so i think it's also something you can add like this is the brief i want you to make this why do you want me to make this and and what's what's your story and what what are the thoughts behind it of Mm -hmm. course not every project is is uh, suitable for that yeah Um, but 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 like i see it as like being interested in the other party and 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 uh just talk a bit more about the thoughts behind it and uh, yeah. and what's what's the pur- purpose of of a certain thought question mm-hmm. or why you totally. have to do something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so funny that you started off by saying, you know, oh, maybe I wouldn't use the word conflict because it really it has such a negative connotation, just like mm. in the way you know the way that we speak nowadays. But it really like there's nothing inherently negative about conflict, and a lot of the times, like you said, like conflict brings about so many better ideas or solutions that wouldn't necessarily happen if you just, you know, went along with every piece of the brief or like went along with every request that a client or your agent even like brought to you. And that's something, that's why we really appreciate it in you is because it's something a lot of people have a hard time with. I know I do. So it's, it's really interesting. Have you always been this way or did you kind of, again, like develop that throughout time as you worked on more projects or no, yeah. I, I, re- I remember, for example, in high school, I was always bad in, uh, in, in subjects which you just had to learn. For example, when mm-hmm. you're learning a language, you have to learn a lot of words just because you have to yeah. know those words. And I didn't really feel like it. And of course, I did it. But, <laughs> but there were also subjects where you can explain why stuff happened or philosophy or history or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Why did things happen? And that's just what what i'm interested in 
I think. Um, but of course, uh, when I started out, I wasn't questioning advice or I wasn't questioning um, But I also found out slowly when you're talking with a client, be it digitally or in real life, mm-hmm. that when sometimes I had a client and we had a professional meeting and then I stayed a little afterwards drinking yeah. coffee or something like that. And then you're going deeper in the subject and maybe feeling a little bold and ask, why are you doing this? Or what is this mm-hmm. for? And maybe in those more... Um, in those easier conversations, you maybe found out you don't need a poster, but you need a, uh, I don't know, whatever, something else, because mm-hmm. that might work better in animation or something. Yeah. Um, so that's something I also just found out in talking with people, working with people. Totally. Yeah. And it feels better for me if I understand, if, if you say, Nick, you have to do this. And I don't understand why I have to do it. Then I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it. But if I understand, okay, if you put out work every week, then you have more of a conversation with your followers or something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right. And I find out it's true. And then, yeah, totally. I think it's a really simple example, but I, that's, uh, yeah. Those are my thoughts about it. Yeah. I love it. No, I love that the example was also a marketing one. That really, really <laughs> harpens it back to our relationship here. Um, but yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't know, I think I said at the top of the podcast, but I am the marketing coordinator here at CNC. So 90% of my conversations with the artists are marketing related. But um, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to dig deeper into that and ask, like, how have you seen this affinity for positive con- confrontation or like positive conflict improve your work and the work of those around you? Like, do you have, it can be a specific example or just like a more general improvement that you've seen happen. Mm, that's, uh, I think <laughs> it's so embedded in everything I do, like always. Yeah. In, I, for example, I also work my studio is connected to a place which is a screen printing place now. Mm-hmm. The same people I started out before awesome. working. And um, there are a lot of creatives coming around here. And you just talk about work and ask why they're doing stuff like they're doing and helping each other. And 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 also with clients. I don't... Um, I think it, it's just conversation is embedded yeah. in all of my 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 work way of working with clients. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more that than a specific example where it's working yeah. out. No, I love it. Yeah. Awesome. And then for those of us pleasers out there wanting everyone to like us or just being generally afraid of that confrontation, how can we begin to feel comfortable creating this back and forth? Like how did yeah, how what advice would you give for somebody trying to adopt this? I think the first thing is is stop thinking of it as something negative or something that might hurt the other or something. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to acknowledge it's showing interest in, in, in the, in the other's thoughts and and their story. And, uh, and of course you can do it a little playful or something. You don't have to be (laughs) super serious and say, 
this is a really stupid idea you're having here, but yeah. you can just say, from, why, why? You can also, what's a good thing is, you just say, I can do it the way you want to do it, and that's totally fine, or you can even make a sketch, mm-hmm. and then just suggest something else. There's yeah. also some something I thought about, and maybe this works better, or this is also a good idea. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah. I personally often hope I can avoid making a sketch I don't want to make. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I do. Then they're, they're, we agree, okay, there are three sketch directions, and then I make one or two their way and one mine. And sometimes theirs is chosen, sometimes mine. But mm-hmm. I think that's also, uh, I think the most important thing is don't see it as something negative to mm-hmm. question something. Yeah, totally. And I think it's funny. I, this, this kind of conversation reminded me of what you said at the beginning where you were like, you know, graphic design, everything had to, like, you had to explain why you were doing everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why you liked illustration is because you didn't have to do that. But it's interesting that it has like a similar, you're still doing it, even though it's, it's a little bit different. Like you, you've adopted that practice from graphic design and kind of applied it in a way that works for you in your illustration practice, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we've uncovered where that came from. So if you want to learn how to yeah. do some positive confrontation, go to graphic design school is basically what the, what the moral is. Well, it, 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 it is also something I know I listen to a lot of the podcasts and I know mm-hmm. articles different in a lot of parts of the world. Yeah. Um, but in the Netherlands, it's in where I studied, it's really about identity. So seeking mm-hmm. a story, which you start out seeking your own identity and your own story and you're making it broader, telling your classmate's story mm. and then making it bigger and bigger. But in the end, that's, that's, I think, what you're doing as an illustrator or designer. You're looking totally. for the identity mm-hmm. of a story, of a person or brand and, and trying to get out that core message or thing. Yeah. Which is totally. also kind of funny because my work is really intuitive and not <laughs> to the point. But I, I always think there, I try to put it in my work. Totally. No, yeah. I think that storytelling aspect is so important. And you, I think mm. people do it even if they're not like actively thinking about it, right? But I think that having an active awareness of the role that storytelling has in like, mm. honestly, both like work that you're doing for clients, but also like your personal work. I think this is something, this is the conversation that I just had with some of the artists on the roster yesterday. But I think something so important that an artist can do that I don't see a lot of people doing actively, like obviously, I think you guys have like a general sense of the story that your body of work tells and that you tell as an artist. But that's something that I think is huge is being aware of, like being consciously aware of and like crafting that story for yourself and knowing, you know, knowing the story that you're telling with your work at all times. And I think, again, like that goes back to the conversation about experimentation and just like trying new things Mm -hmm. out is that, you know, if something doesn't fit into that story or you see, you know, oh, you know, I do this kind of thing and this is what I do and this is why I do it and it doesn't fit into this narrative that you're trying to tell then maybe it's not worthwhile or maybe then you need to expand your definition of who you are as an artist. Um, but it's something that I think is important that not a ton of people do consciously. I think it's important as well. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Thank you for letting me go on my soapbox for a second there. Um, that was a marketing moment with Andrea. Think about your story and let everyone know what it is. Um, yeah, but it, it, of course, it can also be in, in like I said in, in uh, on my website. My own stories are intuitive stories, like mm-hmm. um, you know, this, certain symbols or, or stuff can mean really big things. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a specific story, but yeah, yeah, totally. Just wanted to say that so no, people don't start making really specific stories <laughs> in your work <laughs> no yeah i love that you you narrow or you um you bring me back down to to a normal level i tend to be very like analytical <laughs> organized you know i have to know everything ahead of time so it's good to get that balance back in from you nick um amazing well this has been a great conversation and i only have one more question for you i didn't write this down so it's a bit of a surprise but it's the easiest one where can people find you and your work if they want to know more? You can find me on Instagram. If you search for my name, Nick Liefhebber, it's uh, I-E. A lot of English-speaking people write E-I, Liefhebber. Oh. <laughs> um, and um, there you can find my work. And I have a link in my bio towards uh, my newsletter my uh, Behance. Um, I also have a web shop with a lot of screen printing and resource print and, and all uh, small stuff on Big Cartel. So um, there you can find my stuff. Um, awesome. Well, thank you, Nick. It was so lovely talking to you today. Yeah, thanks for your questions. It was great. Thanks for tuning in to the Closer and Closer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to receive the latest episodes. You don't want to miss some of the incredible conversations that we have coming up. They'll be full of powerful insight to help you reach your full creative potential. To find out more about us, visit www.closerandcloser.co.